Welcome to episode 35, everyone. This particular episode is a fascinating story to listen to. We interviewed Dan Clark, who is the personification of going full crypto since he hasn't used a bank account in almost a year. And that's not the only reason it's fascinating. It's fascinating because of two reasons. He started off as a police officer in the UK and now lives in Jakarta solely off of crypto. And two, he was a skeptic. He was a crypto skeptic. So listening to his perspective on how he heard about Bitcoin and, you know, his transition from being a skeptic to not using a bank account at all and going full crypto is an amazing story. And we thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. We thoroughly enjoyed interviewing him and we're sure that you will love his story too. So let's dive right in. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right, Dan, how's it going? Where are you right now? Jakarta or Bali? Uh, right now I'm in Jakarta. Oh, okay, very cool. So I want you to introduce yourself. But before you do that, I want to reflect a tweet of yours um, that you tweeted on April 17th. It goes like this. When I was 15, I did two weeks work experience in a bank. Hated it. So <laughs> let's go back to when you were 15 and, and tell us, what were you doing in a bank at 15? Were you even allowed to work then? <laughs> so maybe you don't have it in Canada. I don't know. But in the UK, it's common to do what's called work experience. So in like your final year of school. Um, you'll do like a two-week placement in some job. Um, it sounds relevant. So yeah, you, yeah, so you go and do like a two-week. So you write to companies and say, hey, I'm you know, Dan from the school. Um, we're doing our work experience weeks, you know, two-week. You know, can I come and work for you for two weeks and get a get a you know feel for what it's like to have a job? And like the local companies are like, yeah, cool, whatever, whatever, blah, blah. So you have to think about what it is that you want to do. Um, and like, you know, what do your parents do and that kind of stuff? Uh, um, so my parents are both uh, police officers, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. Well, um, that wasn't going to work because I can't, you know, I'm going to let a 15-year-old <laughs> be a police officer for two weeks, right? Um, so I had to look for something in civilian life. Um, and so I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I, I went and did two weeks work experience in a bank in my hometown. Uh, just would walk walk there in the morning work there and then walk back but then they also kind of like didn't really know uh what to do with me so they <laughs> kind of unattended for a bit or whatever or try and convince me that i should make coffees and things like that um <clears throat> but it's a small town so it was pretty boring anyway um and like the bank manager i mean like they all weren't very good like none of these people were like in it because i love banking i think they were just in it because i needed a job so like the bank manager was, would like tell stories like in the office like oh she her card got declined somewhere because she doesn't have any money in her account and things like that like <laughs> or like got refused uh got refused credit for something and then they're like what is your occupation and she's like and i told them i'm a bank manager and i was like yeah you know these people just like they're not in it because they love banking but anyway um so i did two weeks there in a bank and i was like this is boring this is like dumb um just like process and it was a lot of the stuff that i remember was like about security like when you go in the bank and open up in the morning you have to put this little box in this place and while one person stands across the road so 
Like, there's all that kind of stuff. Like, when you would go and open up in the morning, two people would go. One person would stand outside. The other one would go inside um, and then open the bank. And they would come out and they would put like a, a coin, like a coin jar, like a piggy bank in a particular place in the window. So the person across the road looking in could see that was like a secret signal, like everything's okay, you can come in. So if someone had broken into the bank overnight and was waiting for the bank manager to come in <clears throat> to like capture them and then say, open the safe, you know, give us all the money. Um, the, the person that opened the bank needed a way to send a secret signal to the other person that all's fine, you can come in. And if they didn't put the coin jar in the right place, then the person across the street would call the police and say, hey, something's wrong in the bank. So pretty smart when you think about it. But that's like the only thing I remember because I was thinking that's pretty cool. <laughs> But apart cool. from that, yeah, it was boring. It was just people coming and dropping off their savings. And <clears throat> that was it. It was really boring and like not interesting, not fun. Nobody was like trying to help people or innovate things or anything like that. It was just pretty boring. So yeah, I hated it. Oh, wow. So was this approximately 30 or 40 years ago? Well, I'm 33 years old. I didn't want to <laughs> just, you know, in case someone wants to guess your birth year, I didn't want it to be on the podcast, but if you're comfortable speaking your age, I'm, yeah, I'm 33 years or 15 years ago, I would have been uh, 17, 18, 18, so it's more than, it's more than uh, that, so I was thinking I was 15, so it's, uh, it's 18 years ago now. Yeah. Right on, wow, okay. Very cool. So pre Bitcoin. Pre, yeah, definitely pre Bitcoin. Yeah, pre Bitcoin. So, pre online banking, maybe. I remember I used to have to take a like a savings book to the bank and take out money. Well, if you uh, had a piggy bank too, <laughs> to yeah. show, make sure that people know that the bank is not being rob- robbed, it would definitely be before online banking. Yeah, and there's other there's other things like um, when you're on the counter of the bank, <clears throat> if you needed to raise alarm to somebody. Um, there's a code name. I think it was like, oh, um, I have Tracy at my counter. And that'll be like the signal, uh, like <laughs> like someone's come and put a gun under the thing. I'm like, well, not a gun because it's the UK, but you know, whatever. You say, oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not a at my counter. Can you help me? And that'll be the signal, like, call the police. The that was that- like the core part of me. All this like physical attack security stuff was like the interesting part. All the <clears throat> just punching numbers into a computer and drinking coffee was boring. Makes Sorry, me think lots of banks being robbed where you are. Like all these procedures have to be for something. I think that the national procedures. Uh, I, I don't think that bank has ever been robbed. <laughs> so I don't think. Well, thank God, goodness for all of these procedures. It's never been robbed. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so you were 15 and you did two weeks work experience in a bank. Yeah. And what happened after that? What? Where did your life take you? Um, so after that, <clears throat> I left school at. Uh, 16, no, 17, so school 17. Um, I did one year. So in the UK, you have to stay until you're 16. And I did one additional year um, in sixth form. God, it's the same Canada. You have the similar school system, right? Like uh, I don't think so. We have schools. schools until grade 12, and you, you have yeah. to kind of go to that. And uh, in yeah. Quebec, they do it a little bit differently, where you can go and like make maybe take a trade or specialize in grade uh, 10, okay. I do believe. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so in the UK, we don't say grade, we say year. So year year 11, I think, year 12. Um, year 11 is when you have to stay until, that's when you're 16. And then you can leave. You can legally leave um, education. Um, I stayed on for one more year, did year 12 in, in the same school, but in the sixth form. So you don't have to wear a uniform in that part. Um, did that. Then I worked at McDonald's, something that CZ and I share in common. So um, I, I worked at McDonald's from 16 to 18. Um, and for those that don't yeah. know, CZ is the CEO of Binance. <laughs> yeah. um, and then 18 and a half, I left and I followed in my parents' footsteps and became a police officer. Um, right my on. Granddad's a, my granddad was a cop, my uncle's a cop, my mom, my dad, my sister now, stepdad now. Um, it's a big police family because I'm from a, a, like a part of the country where there's not a lot happening. You either work in, basically, more or less, everybody gets paid from the government sector somehow. You either work for the government in, in some way, like you're a teacher or you work for the council or, you know, you're a police officer or you work in the health service or whatever, or you're kind of like unemployed or sick and get unemployment benefits, right? There's very little kind of private industry in, in where I'm from. You can get like a job maybe in a call center or stacking shelves in a, in a supermarket, but generally there's not really anything there. So getting a like a government job is seen as pretty pretty good, like pretty stable, like you tend to keep your job and that kind of stuff. So um, so yeah, I became a police officer when I was 18. Um, that didn't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for like two years. <clears throat> Uh, and then quit. And then um, I sold everything I had. So I had a car, I had a motorbike, you know, I was still living with my dad at the time. But I, yeah, I quit and I sold all my stuff. And um, I collected, I think I had about 8,000 pounds in my bank account. And I was 20, 20 21. And um, I looked at the cheapest place that I could fly uh, on Ryanair. If you know Ryanair, it's kind of famous in Europe like low-cost airline. And one of the cheapest places you could fly from uh, East Midlands, I think the cheapest place you could fly was Berlin. Right on. So I, I went to Berlin for two weeks with a friend because I'd studied German in school and I got like a medium grade, like couldn't really speak it just a little bit. Um, and I was like, Berlin, all right, let's go. So I went to Berlin for a week or two weeks, I can't remember. I liked, and I was like, this is pretty cool. I came back. Uh, and I went again for a week and I came back and I was like, all right. So just sold everything, um, packed my life into a bag and then flew on a one-way ticket to Berlin. Um, so it's safe to weeks. say that you're not averse okay. to risk. Sorry? So it's safe to say that you're not averse to risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, so I flew to Berlin. I had two weeks booked in a hostel. Um just done not to save money because I didn't have a job, right? <laughs> I didn't have a job, right? Um, booked two weeks in a, in a hostel. Um, didn't know anybody. Didn't really speak the language, like a little bit, but not really. No friends, no family or anything. Um, and then stayed in the hostel. And then I kind of figured, well, I, I better try and find somewhere to live. So um, between kind of drinking and hanging out, I, I found somewhere to live. found a flat share, moved into a flat share. Um, took over a guy's lease um, and then just monkeyed around, made friends with a few people um, like through the internet, through like expat groups, whatever. Um, and then did that for a bit. And then I was kind of just a bit 
itinerant for a year, just kind of hanging out and uh, doing whatever. And I got a job teaching English, which is like classic, like nice. classic. No. <laughs> so I taught English for, I think, about three months. That sucked. Didn't like that. Um, that was pretty crappy. Um, and then I saw a job advertised that um, was for a, a, a German price comparison website. And they were launching a, the English arm of a price comparison website. So the Europe's biggest price comparison website, and they were launching the UK version, and they were looking for people to, to join. So um, what, what's price comparison? Like comparing the price of yeah, I mean maybe it's less of a thing now that Amazon's completely dominated, but it used to there used to be a thing where let's say you want to buy the new iPhone X, right? You'd go to this price comparison website, put in iPhone X, and they would just show you all the offers, like here, bum, 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 bum. So on Amazon, it's $100. On, you know, blah, blah, blah.com, it's $96. And you compare it, and then you go, oh, you know, find the cheapest one, and you go and buy it. And that was a, a thing on the internet. And they make money because they have affiliate deals with all of the um, retailers. So, you know, these guys were making tons of money. So they were launching the English version. And they said, we need uh, native English speakers that can speak German. Um, to come and work in this price and it's fairly uh, fairly mundane data entry and a bit of marketing or whatever. So I was like, well, I need a job. Um, and I knew I didn't really speak German, but I thought, let's just try. <laughs> so I went to the interview and the guy that interviewed me was an English guy that didn't speak German. So, <laughs> so that didn't really matter. Um, and so he was like, Oh, you know, blah, blah, you have experience. And I, and I had a bit of experience previously from being a kid. I'd built little websites. I had a bit of experience with writing HTML and things like that, like a little monkeying around. Experience. So I was like, yeah, you know, I get it a little bit. And, blah, blah. and then um, I left the interview. Then about a week later, they're like, yeah, okay, you got the job. Let's, let's go. So, um, yeah, I worked for this company for two years doing, um, like, just helping them to launch their UK version. The company's called Idealo. Idealo. Um, in German, they call it Idealo. Um, and they, yeah, we launched the UK version of it. Um, and at first, I was just doing data sheets and comparing data sheets and something mundane like that. Um, but these guys were really like a powerhouse of SEO. They were a huge SEO company. They were really strong in SEO. So working there for two years, I picked up a lot of SEO and was like, okay, this is cool. Uh, get how this works and kind of got into it and cut my teeth with it and figured it out. I'd go off and um, build my own like website projects in my free time and practice SEO and that kind of stuff. And I'd make like little affiliate websites and really get, um, so in my free time, I was building little websites and doing affiliate marketing and that kind of stuff. Nothing really successful just to get a, get a hand on it. You know, I taught myself, taught myself programming, um, like PHP, SQL, and a bunch of stuff, and just really got into the weeds with it. Um, after two years of working there, I um, <clears throat> saw a job offer for a company also in Berlin, um, doing the same th same thing. They had a deals website in German. They were launching the UK version, so I went and worked there for about three months. Right? So you um, from the UK to Germany yeah. because you spoke a little bit of German, and then <laughs> got a job in two consecutive jobs working for company that wanted to launch something in the uk yeah yeah okay. I, I didn't go to germany because i spoke german i went to germany because it was the cheapest place oh right never mind yeah. <laughs> yes, you, yeah. the little bit of german help. yeah yeah i did german i got a c in german school um so anyway yeah i joined this company the, the one after the other um and they were 
they were a deal website and what they would do is they were affiliate marketing and their biggest kind of like partner was Groupon at the time. Groupon was in its ascendancy. I can't remember what year this was, maybe 2010, 2011, something like that. Um, and Groupon was their biggest partner. And so then after three months or so, I just uh, went and joined Groupon. <laughs> I joined because Groupon was also headquartered in Berlin. Berlin was the global headquarters for Groupon. Not many people know that because Groupon started in the US. Andrew Mason in Chicago founded it. Uh, and there's a company in Europe called Rocket Internet. And Rocket Internet are famous. What they do is they copy, well, in their words, they say they uh, replicate proven business models. If you were to be unkind, you'd say they just copy the copycats, right? Um, and what they do is they replicate proven business models and then expand very aggressively. So Groupon existed in the US. Um, this company, Rocket Internet, founded a new company called My City Deal. Um, and replicated exactly that, the same process, and then launched in Germany and then in UK and just expanded into as many countries as they could aggressively and as quickly as they could to just replicate the business model, get merchants online, just a big execution play. Um, and then they went to Groupon and said, we're in all these countries and we're doing your business model. You can either compete with us or you can buy us. So Groupon bought them. Um, and then Andrew Mason and the guys from Groupon were like, we really just only care about North America. So Groupon North America was, sorry, Groupon Chicago looked after US and Canada, and the Berlin headquarters ran the entire rest of the world. So, um, yeah, all, all of Europe, uh, Middle East, North Africa, you know, Asia, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you were working at Groupon. How many years after sorry? this was still when you were working at Groupon? Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, I, so that's when I joined. I joined just after Groupon had acquired MyCity Deal and rebranded them. So, um, this is still pre-IPO, before Groupon IPO'd. Right. Um, so then we're, then we're still kind of expanding. At this time, Groupon, as it's now called, was expanding to one country a week. So doing one new country a week and, and doing that kind of stuff. Um, and I joined wow. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I joined on the, the SEO team. Um, <clears throat> and they had a few people there, but I was the only one that had any real like technical chops in SEO. Um, and so... I kind of got stuck in there. And, and in my first week, in my first week, I went out and had a drink to celebrate getting a job. And then I was really hungover on the Friday. <laughs> so I went into work. And then and this is a true story. I was scrolling my mouse around, just like, oh, God, I feel like really, really rough. I'm not really like, it probably shouldn't be here. Um, so I was just like scrolling my mouse around. So it looked like I'm doing some work. <laughs> uh, if anybody came past me, whatever, trying to kind of get my head together. And then um, my mouse hovered over a link. And I was like, and it didn't appear in the little address bar at the bottom. You know, when you mouse over a link and it doesn't appear in the address bar. So right. I was like, huh, that's a JavaScript link. That's not an ahreft link, right? So Google's not going to follow that. And so then I like, you know, inspect Element and I and I figured it out. And this was my first week. And I was like, hey, we're we're running JavaScript links on on like almost all of our internal links. That's that's destroying our internal. And then. I was like, I stumbled across something by by being a drunken idiot and, and like just looking like I was working and not, you know it would have taken me longer to find it maybe, um, but then that really cemented me as like, oh, you know, this kid knows what he's doing. He's like got some technical chops and he can figure it out. So, um, pretty quickly, like every line of code that went out on the the website, I, I reviewed it for its SEO, SEO kind of uh, viability. Um, we built a platform because the problem with Groupon is deal today, gone tomorrow, this kind of stuff, right? So there's nothing for Google to kind of like dig into. 
So we built a vouchers portal. So it was groupon.co.uk slash vouchers and then in different countries in Germany slash good China or whatever. And this was like a, a, a permanent record of the historic deals, categorized and all this kind of stuff. And it, and it worked really well. Like we, we did a bunch of stuff there. So that helped Groupon, you know, grow in all of these countries. Um, and that was pretty, pretty good. So I worked there. Um, while I was there, it was a crazy time. Groupon was the fastest growing company on earth this time like like literally it was like um officially um, right. and and by this Berlin. point you still hadn't heard of bitcoin or any kind of cryptocurrency no no not at all not at all when was um, this so, 2010 or where are we now uh, when did groupon ipo let me see groupon ipo uh 2011 groupon ipo in 2011 so we're talking 2011 um so yeah it was there and there was groupon was growing really fast and there's so much money and um, it was like free pizzas every Friday, every Friday or every evening if you stay behind. The the offices always had free beer, free pizzas, free everything. Um, huge parties every every kind of uh, week. People like just bringing massive bottles of champagne in the office and like going crazy. Kind of like a little bit like the Wolf of Wall Street, where it's like all happening like that kind of stuff. I remember <laughs> this is a Canadian guy actually. Um, one day on a Friday, we were just like, I was having pizza and beers and, and, and whatever. And yeah, having a good time. And then I, it was some guy. Uh, so I was like, hey, you know, hey, man, who are you? Like, what are you? And he goes, oh, I, you know, I joined on Monday. I was like, all right, cool. Which team did you join? He's like, oh, I joined the SEO team. And I was like, oh, did you really? Like, uh, yeah, apparently he joined and he'd been working there for a, for a week and I'd never met him. Like, it was just a weird story. Um so that was good all the way, uh, and then Groupon IPO'd, um, and so we watched in the in the office in Berlin, um, had some some beers and watched the IPO on a big projector in there and pizzas and that kind of stuff. Um, so that was good, and then um, pretty pretty cool stuff. second job for you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I enjoyed I enjoyed my time in, in uh, Groupon. We had, right. we had big budgets to spend. We had like all, like nothing. I remember, like we just got told spend as much money as you can. There's like no limit. Just just go out, like on on appropriate things that we needed to like in terms of like, scalability. Like just spend. If this helps us grow faster, just off you go. And you know, we'd we'd send millions of dollars out the door. Um, wow. Engaging agencies, working with you know um, promotional like PR, like this kind of stuff. Um, it was pretty wild. So yeah, when, then the IPO. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna ask. So, uh, when did you come across Binance? Was that the next company that you worked at? No, we'll get there. Um, so did that, and then, and then Groupon kind of like peaked, and, and then came. It was into decline. Um, and then my friend got um, moved. So a friend that I worked with in, in Berlin, um, he got moved to Dubai. Uh, he was like my best friend at the time. So. Then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go visit him. I went to visit him in January. And he had just got made like head of um, Groupon Middle East, North Africa. Like he was running the show out of Dubai. And he's like, yeah, whatever, just come work here. Just just transfer. I'll employ you. I'll find some job for you. So he made up some like job for me to do. And then I moved to Dubai. I moved to Dubai with, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I moved to Dubai with Groupon. And then after like two months, whatever, um, I quit there. And then I went and worked at um, the marketing agencies. So WPP, they're a big kind of global marketing agency. I went and worked there for a year, um, worked on HSBC, Nissan, things like that. As like the agency, I was like their, their head of SEO for the agency. Um, 
Then I was headhunted to work at a rival agency called uh, Publicist, Starcom Publicist, worked there for a year, that kind of stuff. Um, then I went and worked for, uh, it was actually, it was at Starcom. This was during the bubble of like where Bitcoin hit like $1,000 and then collapsed. Right. And that, that was like my first time that I had any real encounter with, um, with Bitcoin. So when I was in Dubai, I started getting interested in like managing my money and investing or whatever. And um, the, you know, there's always shady characters in, in Dubai, obviously. Um, <clears throat> so then I basically got my head screwed on, looked at doing the classic stuff like buying low-cost ETFs and this kind of stuff. And I realized I want to learn more about this. I thought the easiest way for me to learn more about this is to try and explain it. For some reason, that's how it, it's easier for me to do it. So I, I, I made a website called expatfinance.net. And I would just publish like um, guides of what to do and how to build an investment portfolio and what are bonds and that kind of stuff. So I still, that site still exists, but I don't really update it. But it was just a way of me teaching myself. So then I built a, you know, an easy portfolio and, you know, stocks and bonds and that kind of stuff and ETFs and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was around, um, maybe it was 2013, maybe 2013, when the $1,000 Bitcoin kind of bubble. And I remember it was in the news a lot and we were talking about it in the office um, in, in in Dubai, like, oh, and, you know, general consensus was, ah, it's a scam. It's a scam. It's used by criminals. Blah, 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 blah. It's useless. And like, you know, greater fool theory and that kind of stuff. And that was it. Didn't didn't at all think about Bitcoin. You know, after that, it was in the news, flash in the pan, done. Which I think most people did with the 2017 bubble, right? And that's just where I was in my Bitcoin journey. Um, so did that, yeah. And then I I left um, Starcom and went and worked, uh, co-founded a digital marketing agency in Dubai. That was one of the suppliers I'd worked with. Um, and then in mid 2015, I uh, quit all that and I flew to Kuala Lumpur. I took up a role in Kuala Lumpur with a German um, venture builder, similar to Rocket Internet, same kind of thing. They were building a, a, a online glasses retail portal. Went and worked there as the head of SEO for them. Um, and no, maybe that, that was early 2015. So January 2015, I went and worked in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Did that for six months. While I was there, I'd fly to Singapore because Singapore's cool. Um, <clears throat> made some friends in Singapore and then decided that I would um, quit and start my own SEO agency in Singapore. So I incorporated my own <clears throat> SEO consultancy agency in Singapore. Um, you know, gave myself a visa through that agency and, and moved to Singapore. Uh, I ran that agency for like... Love it. Gave yourself a visa. That's amazing. So yeah. your, your best friend got your job in Dubai and then you gave yourself a visa in Singapore. I, yeah. I love the story. Go on. Gave myself a job and gave myself a visa in, in Singapore. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, so then it was there that I... <clears throat> that was 2015. And then through 2016. 2016, um, through mutual friends, I, I got to know uh, a really interesting Bitcoin guy called Anthony Lewis. Um, he wrote a book on on um, Bitcoin and blockchain. You know, he's he works for the Singapore government now on on blockchain. Like, he's an OG. He has a website. I think Bits on Blocks or something. I forget the name. He's still a friend of mine today. But he was the one who was telling me about Bitcoin and how it's good. And I was like, Yeah, I'm skeptical. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then in 2017, a friend of mine was like, Oh, telling me a different friend was telling me, Oh yeah, it's good. And I thought maybe you know I'll invest like a little bit. Maybe I'll allocate a little bit of my portfolio to cryptocurrencies. And such a boomer that um, 
I was like, oh, I can't figure out how to buy Bitcoin. It's a, it's a pain. So I bought the Swedish exchange traded note through my brokerage. So I bought um, Bitcoin and the Ethereum exchange traded products. So, you know, you get ripped off on the fees and it's just a nonsense. But um, this was like late, like maybe autumn 2017. I think I think Bitcoin was like $5,000, maybe $4,000 when I got in, something like that. Um, so I had that and then just watched it go up. And I was, remember watching my brokerage account every day and it was just like posting like massive gains every day. And I was like, this is bananas. Because remember, like in 2017, I've been talking about and researching like, oh, balanced portfolio and, you know, ETFs exposure and don't, don't get overexposed to any one sector. And, you know, I've put a bit of real estate in my portfolio here and there and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, yeah, 7% a year is, you know, good. Look at the that kind of stuff. And then I, you know, added these things into my portfolio and, it, and it's doing like 2% a day or whatever. It's going kind of bananas. Um, <clears throat> so I was like, this is pretty mental. Um, how much did you decide to invest initially? Were you being a little cautious and, you know, starting with less or how, how did you? Yeah, of course. At, at first I was doing like a few percentage points, but then, so this is where, uh, in, I think December, 2017, I wrote an article on, um, on the expat finance website saying, yeah, I think I said how I made almost $30,000 in one month with, with like Bitcoin, right? Because I, I needed to kind of like get it out of my head and like, this is uh, like, uh, I wouldn't believe this story. So I like documented it. Like, here's what I did. I, I bought it here and I held this amount and it's still up there. Um, at some point, either before or after that article, I think it was before the article, I wrote an article saying I was wrong about cryptocurrency. I was wrong about Bitcoin. And I, and I wrote like, a, hey, when I first heard about Bitcoin, I thought it was a scam. Uh, I thought it was done. Now I get it. And I wrote this kind of like, because it's hard these days. Nobody ever wants to admit they're wrong, ever. Right? <laughs> Ever. Um, so I wrote this big article saying I got it completely wrong. I was in cl- completely wrong. Uh, and it's and it's good. So wait, so, so t- tell us what about um what about observing the market led you to doing more research into why you were wrong about Bitcoin being a scam? Um, what about it led me to do um I, I think seeing the adoption and uh, understanding it uh, when it's like when you don't really understand it, you go, ah, it's a scam. It's done, right? right? Which is good. I think that's a good mindset to have, to be cautious, just really cautious. Anything, right, is cautious. Um, I think it's the same skepticism of Bitcoin when you first hear it is healthy that stops you from, you know, blowing on, on shit coins later. I think it's the same kind of innate skepticism um, <clears throat> that you should approach things with. So I don't remember what. What convinced me, and and I, I started a little bit with the exchange trade funds, or whatever, and then I think, and then I ended up buying some via OTC. Did a bank transfer to buy some via OTC. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, I helped out consult with a um, ICO project, right? Because I had time on my hands. So after I sold my agency in 2017, I think, or 2018. I Whatever, I think end of 2018, um, sold the agency to a different company, and then I was just kind of free. So then I took some time off. I traveled through America, um, and I traveled through Europe a little bit, and I just hung out, and I was doing whatever I wanted. And I consulted an ICO company. This is like, oh, yeah, you know, Dan, he's worked with his banks, he's worked with Groupon. Blah, blah. So I consulted them and helped them out with the strategy and saw, like, behind the curtain, 
an ICO kind of launch, that kind of stuff. Um, got invested, did some OTC. I bought like six figures US of, of their uh, their token and like went, went quite deep, deep into it um, and sort of like multiply it on like 4X or something and then come back down and then it was worthless. But I went through the whole journey um, and I divested some and then put it. But then like I'd crossed the Rubicon of getting money into actual crypto. So out of my brokerage account, out of the exchange rate funds, into actual like self-custody crypto. So then, you know, the Trezor and this kind of stuff and got used to that, went through the process of, of all that kind of stuff. And so then I had like some Ethereum, I bought some Omise token and that kind of stuff. And I started getting into it. I, I, um, I had a roommate at the time in Singapore and he didn't have a bank or visa. So he was paying me his rent each month in Ethereum. So he would pay me each month his rent in Ethereum, um, which is fine. How did, you, so I was like, how did you get him to, how did you convince him to do that back in, was this 20 he, he, he was a crypto guy anyway. He was already. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. So he paid me his rent in Ethereum every month because he didn't have a bank account. So I was already kind of dollar cost averaging in. Um, so I was spending my money, my, my fiat to pay the rent and taking in, in fiat, uh, sorry, taking in crypto. I'd already done an OTC and had some crypto. And I, and I was like, as I say, I had some Ethereum. Again, I was like, oh, Bitcoin's dumb. It's slow. It's old. It's like the, the history, man. Bitcoin's not So I dumped all my Bitcoin, uh, dumped all my Bitcoin for Omise tokens, which was terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I sold like 10 Bitcoin for Omise and I ended up like selling them later for like and got one Bitcoin back. Uh, something along those lines. Um, not yeah. Omise, but totally been there. I've yeah, also like just seen things like go up 10x and then just yeah. like for some reason you just don't feel like selling that day when it's 10x yeah. when you bought it. You feel like selling when it's half as much as what it was when you got in. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's that's the second narrative. I think you kind of like Bitcoin's a scam and then you go, oh cool, cryptocurrencies are okay. And then you go, uh, Bitcoin's old and it's slow and yeah. blah blah. And then the next stage is you go past that and go, well, actually, Bitcoin is the, the best one. So, like, the whole process of, like, it's a scam, Ethereum's better, Bitcoin's too slow, and Bitcoin's better, it's just a journey, right? And you'll kind of all go through it. Um, so, yeah, I did that. Um, I, I built a few little projects, like, tinkering around with code. I issued my own token on Ethereum just to kind of, like, learn about it. Yeah, I'll send you some. Uh, <laughs> called Dancoin. Literally oh, wow. no value, obviously. It's just like I just did it for monkeying around. Um, a Solidity contract, issue a token. I think I issued 100 million Dan coins. Basically, wow. the only people that have Dan coin tokens are Binance employees and some of my <laughs> other <laughs> Yeah, very rare. Is it, um, so is that, it a cap? Yeah. Have you pre programmed a cap of 100 million? or? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all fully generated 100 million. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, and then. Um, it's on Trust Wallet. You have a little logo on, on Trust Wallet and that kind of stuff. Um, so I did that. I did a few tinkering around with little projects. Um, I made a, a web page where you could write in a message and that becomes the published message. And then it's anonymous. You can write a message and that becomes published on the website. And then the next person that comes along, if they want to overwrite the message, they've got to pay 10% more in Ethereum. And then they overwrite the message and the next person and the next person and that kind of stuff. And that works with like integrating with Web3 Wallet and that kind of stuff. And just dinking around with things like that. So I did that. Um, I took some time off. As I said, I traveled through uh, US, Europe, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then in late 2018, actually, I went to um, Zug, um, the TechCrunch conference in Zug, because my friend's yeah. TechCrunch. 
uh, met CZ and met the guys from crypto.com and, you know, settled them all over there. Um, and then in late 2018, I was staying in a villa in Bali with some friends because we were all from Singapore, but we'd taken a long, long weekend or something staying in, villa in Bali. Um, and I saw a role in Binance, applied for it, did the, did the interviews or whatever. And then, um, yeah, in late 2018, October 2018, um, got a job at Binance. Wow. That's amazing. So you went from the UK to Berlin, to Dubai, to Malaysia, to Singapore, and then traveled a little bit in the States, in Europe, and then met uh, the gang, the Binance gang, I would say maybe at Zug in Switzerland. And uh, then you moved back to Singapore when you were still working for Binance? Uh, Yes, I was in, in Singapore, yeah. That's amazing. All of this entire journey, I would say, has almost not only led you to to understanding Bitcoin, but also led you to the world of cryptocurrency. But yeah, this is the thing. So like at first, I was like a traditional finance is good guy, but now it makes way more sense. So um, as I said, I haven't used a bank account in well over a year. Like literally haven't used a bank account. I can show you my wallet. My wallet has my driving license in it. Right uh, A little bit of cash. Um, I have my crypto.com card in it. And that's it. I don't have a bank. I don't have a bank account. Like, don't have a bank card. Anything like that. Um, I have a bank account in Singapore, but I literally don't even have the Visa card for it. I can't remember. I don't even know where it is. Right. <laughs> so, and this is good because if I wanted to send, so I'm living in Indonesia. If I wanted to send money from Singapore to Indonesia, first of all, I don't have a bank account here. I don't have a residency visa here, so I don't have a bank account. Like. And once you start to encounter all these frictions with the legacy banking system, cryptocurrency just makes so much more sense. So when you were traveling and living in all of these different countries, what sort of frictions did you face with getting a bank account in that country? Um, most of these were before, before I got into crypto. Um, but typically in, in any country, when you go to a country, you can't open a bank account in that country until you have like a residency visa or something. In almost right. all countries, you can't go somewhere as a tourist and open a bank account. You right. need to have a working visa, residency, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that was actually a problem in Singapore. So in Singapore, I started my company, and the company had a bank account, a legally incorporated company, and the company had a bank account. But I didn't have a visa yet, so I couldn't personally have a bank account. Because I was just visiting Singapore as like a tourist or like to attend meetings or whatever. You're not allowed to work. Um, but I couldn't have a bank account. So I also wasn't able to rent an apartment because I didn't legally have a residency visa in Singapore. So my first apartment in Singapore, I rented under my company's name. I rented the apartment under the company's name as a legal entity. I got the electricity and, and water stuff under the company's name as a legal entity and all that kind of stuff. Did everything that I could under the legal entity of the company and paid use the company's bank account. Um, but the one thing that I couldn't get was was internet in my apartment because internet you have to do a, a personal contract. So for about four months, I had an apartment, I had an office, and all this kind of stuff. But in my apartment, I had no internet because um, I didn't have a residency visa, right? So I couldn't open a bank account and do that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of like regulatory friction stuff. That's I mean, it's not solved by by crypto, but you can see like the legacy structures like you can't do this. It's really permissioned. Um, and things like that. So that's, that's where that is. That's such an interesting form of capital control where you are allowed to have a business in a country mm-hmm. that you don't have a residency visa for, but you can't 
there's no what so how are you spending from your Malaysian bank account? No. Um so I would transfer money into my company's account or my clients would pay into the company's account. I would spend everything from the company account. Wow, that's a really roundabout way. Yeah. Oh man. So when yeah. did you decide that, you know, I'm gonna leave this behind and when did you come across the solution to completely leave traditional finance behind? It wasn't like, uh, oh, I'm just going to stop using the banking altogether. Um, when I when I was at Binance, my salary got paid in crypto. Right. right? Pay, you in, pay you in BNB tokens. So I'm getting paid in, in crypto. And then I got crypto.com card, which this is how you know I met you guys through our shared love of crypto.com. I got my crypto.com card in 2018. It's the same one. Right. All the paints <laughs> chip off of it and everything, right? It's just, but I got this card. And again, I was like, yeah, maybe this is a scam. So I bought 50 MCO. They were like a dollar each, right? To get the metal um, Ruby card. I was in Japan at the time. I, I spent two months in Japan. Um, but MCO, as it was at the time, were, were sending cards and they would, like, Singapore's open. Singapore's our first country. And I was like, great. Sweet. Um, $50, stake 50 MCOs, get a card. If it's a scam, whatever, I'm only out 50 bucks. So I saw it and I was like, this is great. This is a great solution because I get paid in crypto. I'm becoming more and more crypto native. If I can spend that crypto on a Visa card, hey, that's amazing. <clears throat> so I had my friend um, push Chris to, to put me at the top of the queue. <laughs> I don't know if he did or not, but whatever. Um, got my card issued. I was in Japan. I flew back to Singapore straight home. You know, the post box opened it, bam, got the card out, activated it in the app, ran downstairs to the 7-Eleven uh, and tried using my card, right? And, and it worked. And I was like, this is amazing. So spend on my card, spend crypto on my card, right? Get cash back. It's frictionless. Um, <clears throat> Wait, hang on, hang on. Walk us through the process. So what what cryptocurrency did you spend from your card? Did you have an option? How, how was that first? I think... You can only, I think at the time, you can only spend Bitcoin. You have to convert it within the card. You have to convert it to fiat. So you top up your card. You have a separate card wallet in the app, um, which is in fiat. So within the app, you sell. And I've only ever sold Bitcoin. I, don't, I think you can sell some of the currency, but I don't sell Sold a bit of Bitcoin to fund the, the coin wallet. Sorry, fund the card wallet. Right. I think I sold like 100 Singapore dollars worth of Bitcoin. Had $100 on the card. Went to the um, 7 or whatever it was. Um and then uh, you can even use PayWave. So just like the, the contactless, just tap the card and right. it worked. And I was like, this is insane. I was like, this is yeah. uh, So I think I'd lost my DBS, my, my Singapore bank bank card at some point. And I was like, forget them, right? <laughs> Don't do so then it was just all in on the card. I went to the UK, spent it in the UK, like uh, it was fine. Uh, within the app, you can, you can top up into pounds or whatever. And I was like, this is amazing. So then I just... That was it. There's no going back. That was the point where I was like, I don't, I'm never going to use my traditional bank Visa card anymore. I'm never going to use it because I get paid in crypto, right? So it would be more of a pain in the ass to, to do it. I get paid in crypto. I'm going to have to convert it into Singapore dollars, send it to my bank account, right? And then, you know, pay fees and wait and all that kind of stuff. And then go and spend on my Visa card, my Visa debit card in Singapore, uh, with zero cash back. Um, why? Why? There's no point in doing that. Just send it to crypto.com as long as you know, trust them. And I never I never carry a balance on my card. I would always carry like, because you can just top it up when you need it, right? So um, 
just top it by 100, go and spend, right? Top it by 500, go and spend it. Um, it's a fairly low risk. Uh, and I didn't keep a lot of money on crypto.com. I would just, when I needed to, I'd send, I'd get paid my BNB each each month. I'd send some over to crypto.com. Like, right, there we go, and you can go and spend. You can use your card online. You can go to an ATM, take cash out from an ATM. I was like, what more do you need? So the the thing is, at the time I was living in Singapore still, and I was paying my rent, so I had a rental contract. I had to pay my rent using my traditional bank. I used to do bank transfer of the rent. My flatmate was paying me crypto, and I was doing bank transfer. Um, and the only other thing that I couldn't do was um, top up my mobile phone credit. Because I just have a pay-as-you-go SIM card, right? Whatever. Um, and it, it was easy from within the online banking of my traditional Singapore bank to do like a top up my card. Um, <clears throat> then, uh, then in like November of last year, I decided um, like this is dumb because I was spending a lot of time outside of Singapore. I was spending, you know, I spent a bit of time in Japan, um, and I came to Indonesia because I liked it. So I was spending a lot of time out of Singapore, and I was still paying rent on that apartment. So I gave notice to terminate my rent. Okay with that. Um, so then that was like the last thing, the last big thing that I was using my bank account for was, was paying rent. So that was like done. Uh, and then it was top of my phone. And then um, Crypto.com launched this thing where you can top up your phone using uh, Crypto.com Pay, right? So I was like, okay, this is, this is great. Um, so that's, yeah, so, so I moved to moved to Indonesia in like I was coming and going to Indonesia because I didn't need to be in an office anywhere, and it's cheaper to be in uh, Indonesia, and you can live cheaper here. So I'd come to Indonesia, hang out, uh, and I'd stay in a hotel, which I'd pay for on my crypto.com card, or I'd stay in an Airbnb, which I'd pay for on my crypto.com card, right? So it was, again, no need to touch the banking system. Um, and so I stay here, and then blah blah blah. So staying in Airbnbs and hotels and um again so my bank account was just like not not moving anything or anything but then also i had a local sim card that i'd buy for cash and blah, blah, blah. um so did that and then in late 2019 i decided to kind of give up my apartment altogether and move to indonesia so I gave up that uh and then came to came to indonesia and lived with my girlfriend um she rented an apartment um, she paid from her bank account. And so then I was like, okay, we're faced with a problem here about how am I going <laughs> to pay for this? Right. right. So I'd worked with an Indonesian stablecoin company. There's a great company called uh, rupiahtoken.com. Um, they issued the first like license regulated and everything, Indonesian rupiah stablecoin. Um, and I got them listed on Binance Dex at the start. So Binance Dex. And then eventually got them listed on um, Binance.com. Um, uh, they're a really great project. And so the way I would solve things, so if I can pay for stuff on my card, great, easy, and that's good for most stuff. If I can't, then I can go to an ATM, take some cash out, and pay things in cash, right? Um, if those two are not viable, for a reason like paying paying rent, paying like several hundred dollars in rent, um, whether as I got my girlfriend to create an account on rupiahtoken.com on their platform, connect to her bank account, because they have all of the fiat on off ramps, whatever, could take some of my Bitcoin, sell it for rupiah stable coins, send it to her account, she would cash it out to her bank. So each month I would send her like, you know, a few million rupiah, cash it out to her bank, and that's it. And so, again, don't need to touch a bank. I just go Bitcoin to stable coin, send it to her, done. 
Um, but now, even better, now I've managed to convince her uh, to, to come over to the crypto side. So right. she made an account. She made an account with um, local exchange. Um, the the guys behind Rupia Token, the same guys. They have a company called Pintu. Um, she made an account there. Um, <clears throat> so if I need to pay her stuff, now I can just send her Bitcoin on internal exchange transfer. So I keep a small balance on that exchange. I made an account on the same exchange. Keep a small balance there. I need to pay her something. I can pay her that. But in March, when the pandemic hit, um, and she got to work from home, I was like, we're not staying in Jakarta. No, <laughs> so I'm not staying in Jakarta during a pandemic. So we flew to Bali. <clears throat> flew to Bali on the day that the foreign Commonwealth office in the UK was like putting on planes to fly people out of Bali. I was like, yeah, <laughs> flew to Bali. Um, I rented a villa on Airbnb. Just paid from a crypto.com card, obviously. Um, rent a villa and all in. So then stayed in Bali for like three, four months, just renting a villa on Airbnb, month-long rental, pay on your card, piece of cake. Um, so, you know, that was great. Living in living in Bali, glorious weather. You know, I was still working remote for Binance. Um, wow. I got interviewed by South China, South China Morning Post about, about it. Like there's an article I think I shared with you about, yeah, you know. Yeah. We link that in the the show notes, Um, but that's an amazing story, Dan. So you're the personification of going full crypto, but you've also been, you've also erred on the side of caution. Going from being a skeptic about Bitcoin and saying it's a scam um, and then the phases of, oh, there's other better coins out there and then Bitcoin's slow, it's the grandfather and then going, okay, Bitcoin's actually the best thing out there. And yeah. then just opting out of the traditional financial system and figuring out how you can live your life um, on yeah. crypto. That's such a fantastic story. And all within the span of two years, too, with respect yeah. to really discovering, yeah. investing. I think two years. When, I, when I joined Binance and was getting paid in, in crypto, right. that's the point where it's like uh, bank accounts are basically obsolete, really, apart from power. Um, but not only crypto, like obviously, and then I started out in crypto and I had like some in Bitcoin, some in BNB, a lot of BNB for a while, some Ethereum, but also now I'm like 99% Bitcoin. Well, yeah. what, so, you know, there's several camps of, uh, Bitcoiners. Uh, some of them are hurling for a, a long period of time or really going long on Bitcoin, but some people spend Bitcoin to buy their coffee. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're using Bitcoin to spend money for your everyday expenses. Yeah. What kind of what what's your philosophy on spending Bitcoin? I mean, if I want to live, I have to spend money, right? I've got to I've got to keep a roof on my head. I have to food. Uh, and if I'm all in on Bitcoin, then the only option to live is to spend Bitcoin. Right? So why Bitcoin? Why not all of the other altcoins that exist? I just think Bitcoin is better. I read, spent a lot of time lying <laughs> in the pool uh, this summer reading reading books. I read um, Bitcoin Standard by um, Sifidim. Yeah. Um, 21 Lessons by by um, Gigi. Um, and just really clears me. I like the, the known scarcity is obviously a great factor. Um, everything about it, you know, I could talk for hours about how much I love Bitcoin. The difficulty adjustments I think are really great. On, on Bitcoin that keeps it kind of in lockstep. I just think it's really, really solid. So 
I'm like 99% in Bitcoin, more than 99%. I have some CRO to get me the tier of cards I want. So I have like a, a, you know, an amount of CRO that gets me to the level of, of card that I want, which means that I get a higher earn rate on my crypto. Right. So, you know, I've got a bunch of Bitcoin locked in there, which pays me like a passive income, which is incredible. Um, I have some Bitcoin. I just started using FTX more. FTX is a really solid exchange. Love, like, I don't know why it took me so long to find them. Um, it's got some. Bitcoin. I saw yesterday, you know, the lending rate you could get fifteen percent APY on your on your Bitcoin on on FTX. It's temporary. It, it varies they, back now. Sorry. Where are they based out of? Um, Hong Kong. Right. Okay. FTX. The, the, the guy, the guy SBF, he was like the second biggest uh, donor to Joe Biden's campaign. Apparently, he has like you know direct access to the to the transitional teams like that. I, I, they're legit. They're legit. They're, they're valued like $3.5 billion now. I just saw yesterday. So they're legit. Um, so there's that. You can do a few other things like selling options on on um, FTX to, to earn income. So like de- deployed my Bitcoin in, in various ways, whatever, that produces you know sufficient income in, in and of itself. Um, it's in that. But I also have, again, started my own company in Singapore, um, give right. myself a visa to that company in Singapore. So I'm doing consulting with you know various various clients i keep my keep my clients quite confidential but um consulting cryptocurrency companies um uh, and invoicing them through my simple entity yeah right on so um one argument that we have heard a lot from people who are skeptics for crypto still um and i'm just going to talk about bitcoin so on the volatility 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 of Bitcoin, what you said was correct, that you have to spend money somehow, you have to put a roof on your head and there's expenses. Um, Someone would argue that, well, how do you deal with the volatility of Bitcoin? Because, um, you know, one day you could be losing money, but the other day you could be gaining money. How can you pay with an investment like that? Just don't worry about it. (laughs) 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 If the price goes down, it means that you have to sell more of it to, you know, buy lunch the price goes up you spend less of it like what am i going to do about it there's nothing to do about it right if if you believe in it and you hold it and you're long term the only other way that i could get around that would be if i kept like a ten thousand dollar like cash buffer right i kept like ten thousand dollars in stable coins and kept that there um and i just depleted that for a little bit and eventually topped that up but then let's say i put ten thousand dollars in stable coins and but and bitcoin goes to 40k well, right. then, I'm, then I'm out, right? I'm out 20K or whatever it is, right? It's done. Right. If you believe that Bitcoin's going up, you want to be as exposed to it as you can be, right? Really uh, take it out of fiat. Because I was, I was on the radio in the UK the other day talking about this. The only surefire thing that's going to lose you money over the long term, Bitcoin might go up, stocks might go up, bonds might go up. The only thing that's guaranteed to lose your value is keeping your money in fiat. Yeah. Inflation is just chipping it away. It's a guaranteed loss. Everything else, you know, you roll the dice. So when people say, when there's a dip, and people say, I pulled a dip, my thought is, why did you have cash? <laughs> why did you have money to buy the dip with, <clears throat> right? Um, one of my clients paid me yesterday, and within like 20 seconds, just converted it straight into Bitcoin, just straight <laughs> into Bitcoin. Um, landed in my account, converted it, and then they said, hey, we just paid you, and I just sent a screenshot, of, like, you purchased the little Bitcoin. I was like, already converted it. Right? <laughs> already. Um, because, uh, yeah. 
That is amazing. So um, you you brought you brought up inflation, and I actually want to um, stress on that a little bit. So there is these camps again of economists that believe that inflation is good, and for the shorter term, inflation is almost required um, for mm-hmm. something like a pandemic. What's your opinion on the way that um, monetary policy is dictating printing money um, in countries around the world to get yeah. the economy out of this situation? So I understand like the. Keynesian idea of inflation is good, right? And like basically, effectively, is if things are going to cost less in the future, people defer from buying. So that grinds the economy to a halt. If if I could buy a car today for twenty thousand, but I think next year it's going to be it's going to cost eighteen thousand, maybe I'll wait and I won't spend and I'll hoard money in that kind of like gums up the whole economy. So they say the car should cost twenty two thousand next year. So you've got incentive to spend it now to keep the circulation going. That kind. So I get that. I get where, where they're coming from. Um, I don't know. I'm not a big doom and gloomer. I'm not a big, uh, like, uh, the world's falling apart or, you know, this kind of stuff. I generally think that things will probably be all right, right? Things Some, are somehow, in some way. If we didn't print money or things will be all right? Either way. I think even, even what we're doing, yeah, even even the, the governments are printing money. I don't think it's, like at such a chaos stage at the moment, like the Weimar Republic or, um, you know, Zimbabwe or whatever, it could right. be that it's going to go there. Maybe that's the thing. I don't know. You know, I don't have a degree in economics. Um, but I generally, so Bitcoiners tend to be people that, um, to some greater or lesser degree, don't have trust in the system, don't have trust in the in the government, right? That's a, a part of... of Bitcoiners kind of lost in it to more or less extent. The people that are like, there's an article I read somewhere on something. It was like um, the the yuppies that don't like that sneer at Bitcoin. It's because they have they're educated, but they also have faith in the system. So that's why they're like, oh, it's a scam. Whereas you get low education people um, that are convinced to buy Bitcoin, and you get high education people that are convinced to buy Bitcoin. But the thing that they share in common, the commonality trait of them, is the distrust of the system. Right. And it's almost that the same with Brexit, same with Trump and things like that. Right. If you if you you get you get educated people that vote for Trump, Peter Thiel, you know, big backer of Trump. No one would say he's not educated. Right. But it's a, a distrust or dislike of the system. And you get low education uh, voters that vote for Trump. Same for Brexit. Right. It's, it's about your conviction and belief in the system. I don't have like no faith in the system. I think it will be OK. Um, I just think that. Bitcoin's better, you know, and I, I just think it's it's better. It, it can't be debased and that kind of stuff. Once you understand it, like the nodes kind of, they're all hostile to each other. When you really dig into like the mechanics of Bitcoin, it's genius. It's kind of genius, right? Um, Not even kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, everyone's incentivized to, to act in securing the network. If you try and act in a malicious way, it's against your own best interest. It's, you know, really, really genius. Um, look at that. My, my biggest kind of thing. So I, I'm not a big anti-trusting system, which is why I keep a little bit more than I probably should on some exchanges, right? I get a uh, off. If I was big anti-trust, I'd, you know, get a mnemonic tattooed on my arm or something, or you know, and, and, and <laughs> burnt into metal and buried underground and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm just not that, not that anti kind of faith in system. I just understand Bitcoin. And I think it's better. And it's also it's movable. I can I can send it here, there. I can liquidate it when I want. You know, I have money in the stock market. 
and it's like, oh yeah, I can't sell because the London stock market's not open. But, you know, if I if I had to kind of do something now, I go well. Let me wait seven and a half hours until the or six and a half hours London stock exchange opens. Then I can put in a sell order from some of my you know equities, and then I'll do a bank transfer. I can only send it myself. And that might take three days to get right? that kind of stuff. I can send it yeah. to FTX or somewhere into stable coins, and I can have it with you. That whole process. Even with Bitcoin being slow, that whole process is going to take like what, half an hour tops, anytime, yeah. day or night, anywhere in the world that I have an internet connection. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that, that's right on. So I, I want to bring up another tweet that you posted. I, I love that you uh, tweet quotes, by the way. Um, just quotes <laughs> have a way of encapsulating something that someone's already yeah. said in such an articulate way. It's amazing. Um, so this was the the tweet. The future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Uh, by William Geisen. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Yeah. Geisen? Geisen? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, <cool. laughs> Probably now. So, <clears throat> you know, in some ways, you you had the opportunity to start using your Crypto.com card two years ago. We, mm-hmm. as folks in Canada, <laughs> have signed up for it and hopefully we will get our cards in, in January. And, you know, going back to this quote, the future here is not very evenly distributed. So what factors do you think um, uh, will need to dictate the distribution of Bitcoin worldwide uh, with respect to everyday usage? Because the way yeah. that you've established uh, using your crypto.com card, we can't do that yet. And then there's other yeah. parts of the world that can't either. So the adoption cur- curve is slow in different regions. And what factors do you think will govern that even distribution? And, and here's the thing. There, there's, there'll be crypto purists that think I'm a heathen for using crypto.com and using a Visa card, right? They're like, oh, you should, you know, go to the coffee shop and have them open a lightning node, and then they're like, not doing that, right? So, right. you know, go down, go down to the restaurants here or whatever, and convince the Indonesian guys that are running a coffee shop. Yeah, you need to, you need to spin up an AWS instance, and you need to get. What are you talking about, right? And not least because, um, they there, there's an e-wallet system here called, uh, well, there's an app, there's a huge app called um, Gojek where you can use it for like um, getting motorbike taxis and booking cars, whatever. but it has an e-wallet within it called GoPay, right? And that's perfect. And that works already. I can go to the shop downstairs. I don't take my wallet. I tweeted yesterday. I haven't taken my wallet outside with me in over a week. Right. I literally haven't, haven't used it, right? Um, <clears throat> with a phone, with a GoPay wallet, um, scan a QR code, just like Alipay, whatever. I went yesterday. I had dinner and drinks uh, at the restaurant near me, and then the bill comes in. I was like, oh, can you pay, go pay? Yep. She brings the machine, puts a QR code, scan it, and then the credit goes from my account to uh, to the company, to the companies, whatever. Um, now, how do I get? How do I load GoPay onto my account? Um, here's how I did it. I went to Binance and went to their P2P platform and sold some Bitcoin P2P for credits on my on my e-wallet. I sold like four hundred dollars worth, and then bam, credits on my e-wallet. Job done, right? Anytime cool. down. Um, so. In terms of adoption, um, getting more people, like more methods to do it, you'll get your cards, right? I actually have the three, four, three or four crypto debit cards right now. I have a crypto.com card, I have a Coinbase card, uh, and I have a monolith card. These are all monoliths are company in the UK. Yeah. Um, Coinbase, Coinbase, um, and then crypto.com, obviously. So, uh, I'm having my card reissued actually in the UK. So then I have three crypto cards. So even if like one of them doesn't work, if um, I was living in Bali 
when the Wirecard scandal hit, right? And it was like everyone's cards getting frozen, right? And at that time, I didn't have a Coinbase card or I didn't have a Monolith card either. And I was like, <laughs> if this gets, you know, I'm, I'm in a bit of a bind here. Uh, but thankfully, my card didn't get frozen because it was a Singapore issued one, but, you know, it all came through in the end. Um, <clears throat> but now, yeah, I have a, a Coinbase card. Never picked it up. It's at my dad's house in the UK. The Monolith card at my dad's house in the UK. But he sent me the card numbers or whatever, and I kind of take a note of them. So if I want to buy something online, right now my crypto.com card doesn't work because they, they went through some regulation changes. And I've so then I was like, okay, forget it. I'll get my card reissued in the UK. So now I'm waiting to get it picked up. So right now I can't use my crypto.com card. But because I have the card number from my Coinbase card and my Monolith card, I can use them. So if I want to book... Um, a hotel for the weekend or whatever just go on the online punch in my coinbase card number off it goes um so there's that i think that's a path to adoption as i said using existing existing rails i think if gojek which is the name of the e-wallet type app if they were to integrate crypto that's the way to do it like all of these places being second layers paypal as a second layer right i think the idea of getting all these merchants to accept crypto native it's not going to happen they need like level two settlements. And if you can use a level two settlement kind of layers that are already in place, Visa cards, uh, e-wallet merchants, except that's how you get the adoption, right? I've been living here in, in Indonesia now since March. Not obviously never had a bank account in this country ever, right? Um, just right. never been an issue. That is. Um, but yeah, I think that's the issue. I, th- I think adoption is that... It, Trying to force people to accept crypto native is too much of a hard path to yeah. do it. Um, go through the existing existing rails, and then maybe you know that can be done now. Maybe over time, more and more people will come to crypto native, but use that as a crutch as a way in. That's my opinion. Right, right. Okay, so <laughs> this uh, one guy one time he was trying to sell me some life insurance, and uh, his pitch was, "Well, there's two things that are inevitable in life: death and taxes." I want to bring the second one up with you with respect to taxes. Another question that we get asked a lot and, you know, it's sort of like a mystery when it comes to the crypto world, because in Mm -hmm. some uh, countries it's, you know, quite straightforward, but in others it's kind of in a gray area because it's not quite well defined. How have you been able to report your taxes properly? And what country do you report your taxes to? (laughs) So a tax resident of Singapore, right? So living in Singapore, I was... It's it's the Singapore government wouldn't let me back in the country. I, I came to, to Indonesia on holiday, pandemic hit. I was a valid valid working visa holder, and then they closed the border and said you need to have special permission to come inside the the country, right? Because they closed the border like that, I have panic. Um, and so because I was in an area with high infection, they said oh you can't come back. So I was like okay it's fine by me. I don't mind staying in in Indonesia, but no, it's not like. My choice, I guess, kind of is, but whatever. Um, but anyway, the point is Singapore tax doesn't. Um, Singapore has zero capital gains tax, um, zero tax on dividends. Uh, so doesn't matter. <laughs> this is essentially it. Um, if, if I, the only tax that, that you pay is income tax. So I pay income tax on my earnings. Um, and that's paid at the end. So I was actually, again, in Dubai. Sorry, I was in um, Bali. And I'd not been using my... Singapore SIM card. So I put my Singapore SIM card in to, to, to FA or something, and I got an, a message, an SMS from the revenue department, you know, internal revenue department in Singapore saying, hey, you, you need to file your taxes, and if you don't do it by this date, we're going to fine you. Um, 
So then I'm, I emailed them saying, hey, look, uh, I'm stuck overseas. You guys want to let me back in? Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I could just file my tax online. And so you, you do your taxes once a year in arrears in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And then they just say, um, do you want to pay all in one go or do you want to pay in installments? So you work for a year. And then let's say you've got to pay $10,000 taxes. You can either just send them $10,000 or they'll say, pay us $1,000 a month for 10 months. And it just comes out of your bank account. Um, so I think like this time I got the tax kind of assessment and just well, it was when I was leaving Groupon. So Groupon, sorry, when I was leaving Binance, Binance settled my taxes and then took it out of my last paycheck. Um, That's nice of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, obligated, but yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but in terms of like crypto taxes, yeah, there's no capital gains tax in Singapore. There's no capital gains tax, no dividends tax. Uh, there's no income on, uh, sorry, no tax on income earned overseas. So unless it's in the course of your actual job. Right. So I work, I have a Singapore visa, I work for a Singapore company, uh, my own company, whatever. If, if I'm going to like meet a client in Indonesia or whatever, or have a meeting with them in Indonesia, I can't say, oh, that's income earned overseas. But if I go back to the UK and, you know, um, build a shed uh, for my granddad and he pays me a hundred quid, that would be, as I understand it, uh, non-taxable overseas earnings. So. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I guess different tax laws in different countries, but. Singapore you... is great for tax. Yes. It's so simple. Right. It's so simple. Otherwise, like in the US, it wouldn't work because if you could like sell your Bitcoin to load up your card, every one of those is like a capital gains, like nightmare, absolute I nightmare. I was just going to say that the same as in Canada, every capital yeah. gain is uh, taxable. Every, every transaction, transaction is a taxable event. So it's just calculate. My friend, my friend Anthony Lewis, um, that I spoke about earlier, he even emailed um, the Singapore government like, hey, just want to get some clarity. And they emailed him back like, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> just like, yeah, don't, don't, don't worry about it, friend. It's like, if it's capital gains, it's not taxed. Don't worry about it. And, and then he was like, uh, he emailed him about the fork, like the Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin yeah. Cash yeah. fork. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think they basically said uh, it's like a dividend, so it's tax-free as well. So it may change, but I doubt it. Singapore is like a low-tax jurisdiction. It's great. It is. What do you use to uh, report taxes? Is there like um? A- the Singapore government has an online portal called uh, I say Sing Sing Pass or something like that. You just log in with your um, national ID details and then you just right on. Um, yeah, and it does you. You need to pay this much. Do you want to pay it now? Do you want to pay installments? You pay. You can either press pay now, online banking, wire them the money, or installments. Give them the bank details and they'll just take it each month from your bank account. That, and the whole thing is seamless. So convenient. And yeah. <laughs> wow, super seamless. Well, being, being on a visa as well. So when you're on a visa, like a working visa, the government knows how much money you earn, right? Because you've had to declare how much you're earning to get that visa. So at the end of the year, the government just goes, you earn this much. Have you earned anything extra on top of that? Have you had any like um, bonuses or whatever? And if you haven't, then it's just like, okay, yeah, well, this is how much you owe us. Off you go. And they're not like, breaking their back over it it's, it's like you know maybe five ten thousand dollars it's they don't care so singapore has one of the world's biggest sovereign wealth funds and you know a bunch of other stuff they're they're not they're not hurting for money but you pay your taxes pay your taxes in full you get a nice little letter when you pay taxes saying thank you for your contribution to nation building which yeah. is nice this sounds nice <laughs> yeah. yeah 
I even got a tax rebate check because I I'd overpaid my taxes and they sent me a check for $250 and I was too lazy to cash it. I literally, literally never cashed it. I might even still have it. <laughs> yes, yeah, still, still have it right here. From from the oh this is this is seventy this one seventy dollars check from the tax department. I just yeah. never got around to checking to cashing it and it expired. So I paid more than my fair share of taxes. I paid more than I was supposed to. Never cashed the rebate. Maybe you'll get another letter saying thank you Dan for paying more than we asked. Yeah. <laughs> but when people like say oh you avoid taxes or you don't pay taxes or something like that, I mean it's literally the opposite. I paid more than I was supposed to. They sent me a check. <laughs> and I got to cash it. Yeah, you got proof too. Um, so you said that uh, some of your cards are with your dad back in the UK, and, and I saw a picture of uh, you tweeting your your dad the uh, a video call with your dad. He was asking you questions about Bitcoin. How's that going? That that was Joe Rogan. <laughs> that was okay, it. Was Joe Rogan? It was Joe Rogan. Okay, I did it, I did it as a joke. Um, that was a screenshot that Kanye West shared when Kanye West had a video call with Joe Rogan. And as a joke, I photoshopped my face into Kanye West Square. Oh. I was like, oh, my dad got an iPhone and he keeps calling me to ask him to explain Bitcoin. It's Joe Rogan. It was like a joke. <laughs> okay, that makes sense because he, you know, you're, you look like Joe Rogan. And when I, I Joe Rogan. was like, Joe Rogan? The same talking to you. It's your dad. Your, like, uh, that's Joe Rogan. Joe, um, that, well, I, it. I, I was wearing the same t-shirt and I had short hair as well. I guess kind of got short hair now. Uh, and I was like, he kind of looks like it could be my dad. And I was like, I'm just yeah. gonna tweet that. I'm just gonna send it out. So. It well, you did. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> the secret's out totally. now. Totally, Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> well, is your dad into Bitcoin anyway? He's not. No, he's definitely not into Bitcoin. At all. <laughs> I have a question about that. How how frustrating is that? Because uh, like I I try to convince my family on a regular basis and have been trying to do so for five years now, and they're <laughs> just now kind of coming around. In 2017, I did pay my mom $300 for the Bitcoin for rent that I was uh, I was living in, in my parents' basement, and she's like, "Look, it's $600 now." And I'm like, "I know, mom. Like, nice. It's yeah." Um, no, I mean being being an expat, being far away from your family, so I don't I don't see my family. I see them once a year, right? I haven't seen my family this year at all. It's the seventh of December. Uh, last time I saw my family was before New Year's <clears throat> when I was in the UK. Um, so it's I don't, I don't really have that much interaction with them, so it's not really frustrating. Like, okay, they don't get Bitcoin, whatever. As long as as long as I get it, I don't mind. I almost gave them some cryptocurrency uh in 2018 for christmas but then like i couldn't figure out the method of doing it like i, I still have it on like a spreadsheet i was gonna give them like <clears throat> i think i was gonna give them like a hundred dollars like 25 dollars in bitcoin 25 in bnb 20 in ether and 20 in monero right um but then i just like i know like they would be like what is this and just not care about it and so i thought um i'm not gonna do this because my dad will probably throw it away <laughs> start with. Uh, my sister will probably lose it. And my mom so like, it'll just be a waste of everybody's time. <laughs> so, so I didn't bother. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, recently, Keegan and I were acknowledged as 30 under 30 innovators in Atlantic Canada. My dad, parents, 
girl. So my dad sent it to one of his groups. And then this other friend of my dad's friends messaged me saying, hey, I am, I'm a friend of your friend's dad, whatever. Yeah. And he's like, I'm neck deep in Bitcoin. Let's chat. And nice. Yes, he lives in the UK too. And it's the 63-year-old man. He's like, I discovered Bitcoin one month ago and I've already bought two. I bought a gold bar for my son when he was two years old and I'm going to sell that and get more nice. Bitcoin. Interview that guy. Get that guy on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good idea because his perspective is just going to be so helpful for so many skeptics. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, this guy is just sold on Bitcoin and he messaged Keegan and I almost every other day saying that this is what I learned. And he's like, did you know that this happened? Did you know that that happened? It was really cute. <laughs> so cute. One of the things I found is you don't, I don't think I've seen anybody that when they understood Bitcoin, didn't didn't hold some, didn't buy some. Right. right. I, I don't think anybody that goes, yeah, I was a skeptic, and then I then I had it, and then now I'm totally out of it, and I don't think it's a good idea. Right. I don't know anyone like that. Once you once you understand it, I think that's it. So it's such like a, if you think about like the R number, like the reputation, whatever. Once people are in, that's it. They're in. Um, yeah. I read a lot, not a lot, a bit. Um, Reddit slash R Bitcoin. You seen that one? That's like the skeptic, and they're all just like. Do you know, see Bitcoin? yeah, B U T T coin. Oh. Right? And they they are just it's a subreddit where they just like <laughs> hose Bitcoin and say like, oh, it's good scam and blah blah blah, and they always try to try and find stuff and and say it's scam. Um, it's great to get like the skeptic's perspective, right? Um, but. Since like 2013, that whole subreddit has been about like Bitcoin is stupid, Bitcoin's never going to work, it's it's a scam, it's a failure. So I love I love reading that sometimes to see like increasing levels of desperation as they're trying to like poke holes in it, right? Um, especially now it's back up at like 20k. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I 100% agree. Um, somebody that we know sent us an article by Paul Krugman, who's a, a Nobel yeah. Prize winning. Economist and uh, he's written a couple of articles. They're quite sporadic. They only um, come up <clears throat> like a couple in 2013, and I think that's when the price of Bitcoin shot up, shot up to a thousand dollars. But then a couple in 2017, and maybe one in 2018. And the titles are so interesting. One of them is Bitcoin is evil, and uh, the reason that I I read all of these articles, I went down a rabbit hole of reading all of the cases and points made against Bitcoin, and that was because okay, I would really love to know what this you know award-winning economist thinks about bitcoin because it's all mm -hmm. there you can read all about it if you understand logic and if you understand math mm -hmm. then bitcoin is really easy um and and then like you said you realize that there is a hole in education there's so many holes in an argument because it doesn't come from a place of complete understanding of how the technology works um and then it's it's amazing because it's it further uh, deepens your belief or it did, did belief that oh cool okay cool yeah. this guy doesn't seem like he knows what he's talking about so i'm still good to be a big this is like good confidence the thing is you, you can't like force people to convert to bitcoin right it's, it's yeah. a weird thing you can't like drag them kicking streaming you can just show them and then in their own time they'll they'll kind of get it um but which is fine i'm not out here you know proselytizing uh you know uh bitcoin whatever if you get it and once you get it you get it and if you don't get it, you don't get it. It's okay, right? This, even my granddad, like my granddad, like two years ago was asking me about my dad's dad. My dad 
I probably will never hold Bitcoin. He doesn't have a, doesn't have a Facebook account, you know, <laughs> never has, right? That kind of stuff. But if my granddad was asking me about like, oh, I want to, and he sent me an email saying, oh, your grandma wants to put some money in Bitcoin. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure if I trust it and this kind of stuff. And I was like, wow. But then again, I was, I was like, yeah, you know, it's good. I, I keep my money in or whatever, but it's up to you. Because I want to go, yeah, you know, go leverage long with like 50x leverage. <laughs> um, so I'm just like, yeah, you know, I think it's good. It's, it's good for me. I like it. But I'm never like a pushy like, person. Right know. on. So the you- biggest thing I think. Oh, yeah, go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead. Okay. The biggest thing I think is the moment is. I, I like the scarcity. Like there's only 900 Bitcoin per day. And if you look at all the people that are taking uh, Bitcoin out, you've got Grayscale and that kind of stuff. I saw a whale alerts tweet yesterday. One guy moved 630 Bitcoin from Binance to um, Zappo, the Swiss kind of underground vault thing. That was like 60% of the days, more than 70% of all Bitcoin mine that day got moved from exchange in a single transaction, moved from exchange into long-term storage. Um, I think it's quite interesting to think about what people are saying, like there's a sell side um, liquidity crisis. Like there's not enough Bitcoin <clears throat> to be sold. But then apparently miners are dumping quite a lot of Bitcoin. These miners are kind of offloading Bitcoin. I don't know. But when you run the numbers, the scarcity is, is real. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just going to say that you've come such a long way from you know, being a Bitcoin skeptic and then um, diversifying your portfolio a little bit and then going full on Bitcoin. And then now you have gone full crypto because you've just traditionally or left left the traditional system. So what is your advice not to pull somebody into crypto, but somebody who mm-hmm. is still a skeptic in that stage one of, oh, this is a scam. What would you say to them just to sort of, you know, seed um, or plant a seed of curiosity to go in the right direction? So I, I did, a, <clears throat> did a course on financial markets from Yale, right? And that was great with the Nobel, Robert Schiller and that kind of stuff. He talks about the efficient frontier, you know, about efficient frontier and in investing, like the diversification, that kind of stuff. Um, diversification is the only free lunch in investing. It is the only free lunch in investing it's the only thing that you know increases your your returns you want a, a diverse portfolio of non-correlated assets bitcoin is a non-correlated asset right so even if you are skeptical and, and whatever right adding bitcoin to your portfolio in a small amount it's not correlated to equities it's not correlated to real estate it's not correlated to bonds right it's not correlated to gold right it will add some diversity portfolio which will increase your returns. So if you take 1% of your portfolio and put it into Bitcoin, and you can backtest this, put 1% of your Bitcoin uh, portfolio in Bitcoin, it improves your overall results. And if you are a skeptic, if you're such a skeptic that you think it's a scam and it's going to zero, the Fed's going to stop it, whatever, put 1% in, right? If that 1% goes to zero, it takes 1% off of your return for that year, right? It's it's nothing. It's a Right? But if it adds that diversification and gives you, you know, um, sorts out, you know, gives you a better sharp ratio, a better Sortino ratio, risk adjusted reward, that kind of stuff, just put a, put a small amount of your portfolio into that. Even You don't have to care about the technology, understand technology, care about its use cases. Um, but a lot of smart people are. Michael Saylor is just raising 400 million in, in debt now to buy another 400 million Bitcoin, right? Oh, really? Um, yeah. They're, they're, they're issuing, uh, they're, they're trying to raise $400 million 
<laughs> on a convertible note, and they're going to use all that money to buy Bitcoin. That That's just broken the news, like recently. When did that break? Like maybe two hours ago, three hours ago, something like that. Oh, I saw on book, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of smart people that are, that are in Bitcoin. Um, a lot of smart people are putting some of their wealth into Bitcoin. And now Paul Tudor Jones, uh, you know, all these guys are saying a little bit. It's almost a free roll. It's almost like risk-free. Put 1% of your portfolio into Bitcoin. See how it goes, right? The the reputational risk of doing that now is way lower. Three years ago, saying we're going to take, you know, a bit of my portfolio and put it in Bitcoin. You're a fringe kind of foil hat wearing, you know, Infowars type guy. But now when you have like these big um, finance heavyweights saying, yeah, we're good. Um, who's the guy, Raul Pal? He's like going, he said he's put 99% of his, his worth in Bitcoin, right? Which is crazy. Um, you, if he's that confident, how can you not be confident enough to put like 1%? In? 1%, exactly, right. yeah. Get off zero. And that's how it starts. And you put 1% in and you do a bit of research and go, oh, it's pretty good, it's non-correlated, and then maybe it'll increase your portfolio. Like I get it from a from like a uh, academic point of view, my portfolio is insane, right? Going all in on one asset, that's insane. And I do, I fully intend to diversify out later as I get older in life, you don't want to be all in, right? I, I have a tab open on my um, Chrome all times, uh, my uh, intended, you know, some in real estate, something blah, 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 um, all this kind of stuff is back-tested. Um, that makes sense. But for now, I definitely have the confidence to be all in most people won't be. Most people shouldn't be. But putting a little bit in and just mm -hmm. seeing how it how it goes for you. That's a fantastic. Like a, yeah, it's like a lottery ticket, right? It's you just buying a lottery ticket or scratch card, but the odds are way better. Right? <laughs> just put a little bit in, see how it goes, and see get used to it. If you, even for me, I, I didn't when I first got exposed to Bitcoin. It was through my brokerage, through an exchange or a note, right? There's more of them now. You could buy MicroStrategy, which is basically becoming a uh, Bitcoin ETF, right? You could buy Grayscale. You could buy any one of the, the Swedish ones. There's a Swiss uh, ETN now. So you don't even have to leave the comfort of what you're used to, your your online brokerage platform. You can get some exposure to Bitcoin through that. Won't be the most efficient, but you get a little bit of exposure to it and see how it goes. And then you, you hold some some Bitcoin in your portfolio. Uh, and I said the other day, this is a bit of a free roll for, for private companies. If you're a company and you put a little bit of your... Um, um, company treasury into Bitcoin. <clears throat> Great, you look like a visionary. 90 days time, Bitcoin price is up. You get some free press release of like, yeah, you know, we actually allocated a portion of our treasury into Bitcoin in uh, in December, right? And if, if Bitcoin's up at 30,000 by then, you look like, a, you know, forward thinking, you know, on the edge of things, innovative and that kind of stuff. If it's not at 30K, if it's at 20K, or even if it's down a little bit, you know, you maybe lost a little bit of money, but it's it's... In waves. I don't think you will, but I think, you know, in terms of things that you could diversify into, it's not the worst. You could have put it in oil and oil's gone. Right? So no one's, no one's like, if you, as, as an investor, if you have a portfolio, if you put some, if you had put some of your portfolio into, let's say, put, you know, 1% of my portfolio diversify into, into oil as a commodity because it's a non correlated asset and da, da, da. If you'd done that like two or three years ago, no one would say, that's crazy. That's so risky. It's, you know, know right? It's just diversification. It's pretty easy diversification. So doing that now with Bitcoin is the same thing. But if you've done it with oil and it's gone down, no one's going back to you and saying, you know, you're fired because you put 1% of your allocation to oil, even though it's collapsed like 60% or something. 
Bitcoin's very unlikely, in my opinion, to collapse by 60% over the next year. So you would be better than that trade that no one would give you, you know, grief about now. Right on. So that, that was a fantastic answer. Get off zero and put 1% in because it's not going to put a dent in your portfolio and you will be able to test your skepticism. Yep. You can either buy it and you know, physically custody it, you can do it on exchange, or if you're a real boomer, you can buy one of the funds through your brokerage, right? There's many ways to do it. Um, at first, I was like, it's so hard to buy crypto. Like, you can't really do it. Like, oh, how do I get my money into it? It's still pretty difficult now to get money into the crypto, right? Um, depending on you where you are in the world, that's true. Sorry? De- depending on where you are in the world, it it really yeah. yeah. You can um, so you can, Sorry. Uh, I'm I'm sure that finding a way, even if you are so, uh, in a one in in a place in the world where you know there probably isn't an exchange or not enough liquidity with the currency that you have, it's getting still- easier. It's getting easier all the time. Binance now have P2P. So let's say I use the Binance P2P. It's great. I'm working with a great company called Crypto Locally. Um, they're really good. They are like a decentralized, like trustless P2P. Right. Really great technology. Check them out, cryptolocally.com. Um, so you can P2P into local, that kind of stuff. But, you know, at first, if you're trying to convince a skeptic, like, well, here's what you got to do. You got to go to this website, Crypto Locally, and then you got to sign up. Right. And then you need to wire money to this guy. Who's this guy? Oh, he's the guy that you're buying it from. But who is he? It doesn't matter who he is, right? You gotta do a wire transfer to him. And don't worry, it's in the it's in the smart contracts, in the code, right? You just gotta trust in the code, right? These are all just like scam, like scam. I'll go to this website and send some money to some guy who I don't know, right? But don't worry, the code's safe. Don't worry, like who says the code's safe? Oh well, you know, it's 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 safe, yes, you know. <laughs> it's just and then what happens if he doesn't send it? Well, then you know the it's just all like a chaos, right? So for skeptics, it's hard. But once you're in the, the, the system and you understand it, it makes sense. Um, the easiest way is definitely use your card to buy it on Coinbase or buy it on Binance or you know buy it on Crypto.com. Um, so if, yeah. then we can't do yeah. that in Canada because all if the Canadian banks yeah. have blocked yeah. cards and so credit cards. cards yeah. It's bananas. So How do you guys get money into, into crypto then? We have an amazing e-transfer, wire transfer. Yeah, e-transfer is the predominant way to get money around in, in Canada. And all their transfers. Yeah. Who do you send the money to? Uh, there's a company called ShakePay, and they're really awesome. They've got a two okay. percent margin on everything, but they just they, okay. it's such a frictionless system that it's it, it's worth it. And then for money uh, like larger than five k, we go to Kraken because uh, uh, Kraken is just you know totally wicked with the reputation. Yeah, yeah, Kraken are really good. So like it's weird for me now. Like I invoice clients, like consultant clients, or whatever. Um, if they were to like, if any of them were to to say, "Hey, can you bank details?" I'd be like, "What the f- <laughs> bank detail?" Right? Whoa. So I've been working with one company, and they they pay me to my bank, and it's just it's such a slow and crappy, inefficient system. Like they'll send money to my to my bank account. Everyone else is just like, "Yeah, here's a stablecoin address." Here you go. Right. Uh, and done real quick so for me it's the exact opposite i have i'm fully in crypto fully in crypto native right um for me it's not getting money into um crypto because I, I don't have any yeah really uh it's getting the money out it's getting money out so yeah i mean i think through crypto.com i can probably do it you can withdraw a decent amount through crypto.com to my uk bank account and then if like here's the thing if i wanted to go get money from crypto into my singapore bank account Here's how I'd have to do it. 
crypto.com, sell it into uh, pounds, withdraw the pounds to my UK bank account. From my UK bank account, send it to my brokerage. My brokerage converted Singapore dollars, and then from my brokerage, send it to my Singapore bank account. That's, I think, the easiest way at the moment for me to get money from crypto into my Singapore bank account. That's, that's fees at every jump. Yeah, there'd be fees, conversion fees, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So Wait. that's what, because there, there isn't, there is uh, on Singapore, there a company called Xverse and that kind of stuff. Because um, my uh, working visa expired, they sent a code to my home address and I've not been there. So like, there's like some friction there. So I can't do like transfer directly. And also they have like a bunch of limits. You got to do like a bunch of KYC stuff. So it's problematic. Oh. The other easiest, but actually now crypto.com doesn't let you use ATM in Singapore. If you have a Singapore card, you can't use ATMs in Singapore because otherwise that would be easiest. Like I had, when I was living in Singapore, I broke my door and I had to have a handyman come and fix it. Uh, and I was like, oh, I've only got crypto. Um, <laughs> I didn't really speak English. Um, and I was like, there's no way I'm going, yeah, you know, you want some USDTs and, you know, saying that. So I was like, okay, come with me. So I went downstairs out of my building across the ATM, put my crypto.com card and just took out like a bunch of cash and just gave me some cash. But like, that's a way of converting crypto into cash in seconds, right? To pay the handyman. The guy that the guy that come and fix my door effectively got paid in Bitcoin. He just didn't know it, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. Well, on that topic, um, money, you know, what is the definition of money for you? Before we wrap up, I really want to get your thoughts on it because there's so many contradictory thoughts, especially from uh, from skeptics, is oh, Bitcoin yeah. isn't money. Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency because currency is something that is stable. What's your answer to yeah. people say something like that? That's not really very fair, is it? Because, you know, the Reichmark went flying high and the Zimbabwe dollar, they were still currencies, but they were completely not stable. The Venezuelan Bolivar, is it? Right, um, yeah. So I don't know. Money is just, uh, it solves, it's it's a, a tool that solves that convenience of wants problem, right? You know, before, like, um, you know, I have I have a bread, you had fish, brilliant, let's swap, but you know, it's it's a, store of, of, of value that you can do that, right? And so I think currency is a store of value. Um, <clears throat> is Bitcoin money? Who cares? Who cares what you want to call it? <laughs> Honestly, does it matter? Does it matter whether whether you call it money or not? Um, it's, a, it's, it's a store of wealth. It's a store of wealth. It's a store of value, right? Uh, I can exchange it for what I want. Um, I can exchange it for a beer. There's thing like, oh, you can't, you can't spend Bitcoin, you know, for a coffee. Sure you can, yeah. you know, I can, within the app, sell, you know, $10 worth of it on my card immediately and pay on my card and it's in seconds, right? Oh, but they've got custody. Well, yeah, look, you, as like a native, nothing's going to run 100% on native. I think these level two solutions are great, right? I really do. And I got crap on, on Twitter for it. But like, um, if I want to send, like when my car wasn't working, I'd send my, my girlfriend Bitcoin every time and like go for a meal or whatever. So like, um, pay my share of it. Um, if I was doing that every time on the chain and sending that, like I'm sending her like maybe $10 or $5, right? But because we both have accounts in the same app, I can do an internal transfer. It takes seconds, right? That for me is a level two scaling solution. I've transferred Bitcoin from me to her, right? It didn't touch the chain. It didn't cost any fees and it was instant. We have both trusted our Bitcoin to a third party custody. I agree, right? But let's say I keep like $1,000 on there. It's not the end of the world if that, that party were to go belly up, right? So for me, that's a great level two solution. I could send you cash now immediately from crypto.com. 
like uh, give me your account, give me your username or phone number, and I can send you a single Satoshi. I do it sometimes to my friend to piss him off. Just yeah, <laughs> write, write a stupid message and send him a Satoshi. Um, so it pops my phone. <laughs> it's like a troll. Um, but I can, we can send each other Satoshis back and forth, different countries, different time zones, whatever. Um, zero fee. For me, that's a level two solution. Yes, we both trust that custody. I get it. Right? If you're a big maxi that says it needs to all just be in cold storage, that maybe isn't going to work for you. But having an amount on exchange that you can do that, it works, right? And if the other person receives it, accepts it as a value, then it's payment. It's fulfilled its use as a payment, right? Is Bitcoin money? Is Ethereum money? La, 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 la. Who cares? Don't get hung up on labels would be my thing. If it, if it works for you, then, then good, right? Right on. Yeah, I really like that you brought up that it, money solves a problem of coincidence of wants. And yeah. you get someone to accept it. There you go. You got a medium of exchange. It's money. Yep. That's yep. Fantastic. Well, Dan, where can people find you to, to talk to you more about this and, you know, get in touch with you for all of your one <laughs> Bitcoin and cryptocurrency knowledge and two, the wealth of knowledge you've racked up with working in marketing and SEO. Um, Twitter is probably the best place to get a hold of me. Uh, my name on Twitter, Dan Clarkie, D-A-N-C-L-A-R-K-I-E. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And this has oh, been a great Your story is fantastic. Thank um, you. And, and like I said before, your personification of going full crypto, it was fantastic to finally meet someone who, uh, <laughs> who has gone full crypto. Eventually, we will be able to do that to you once we get our crypto.com cards. Yeah, right. That's coming in January. Yeah. 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 Do you know? Fantastic. Well, everyone, you know where to find Dan and you know where to find us. Uh, thank you for listening and watching and stay tuned. Bye.